Welcome to the Lazy Bird Podcast. I'm your host, James, and today's podcast is a really exciting one for me because I've been wanting to do this for quite some time now, um, and not quite in the podcast form. I've been wanting to talk to chefs uh, in in the city who I am inspired by and get excited by, by them, uh, and I got to do that today and yesterday and tomorrow, and um, I'm pretty excited. Uh, this is something that's definitely really new for me, is uh, communicating with random people. I've always been kind of uh, shy about communicating, very self, uh, self-critical self and, and anxious about just talking to some random people, and uh, I've started doing it. So today's episode, I'm talking to my buddy Neil. Um, he's a great guy. I worked with him for many years um, prior to to now and uh he has some really interesting stuff going on in his life so go follow him on instagram at grenade underscore chef i believe it is um yeah uh this recording it was my first recording that i've done with an with another chef and uh i i really wish i asked different questions and i kind of was more present in the conversation i was I had questions written down and I was like really adamant on asking them, but I think I, I need to be a bit more spontaneous with my conversational skills and, uh, you know, hopefully in the future the conversations are going to be a bit more engaging. Um, but that being said, it's still a great conversation that I had with Neil. Um, we, you know, I have a funny story with me and Neil. We started working together uh, at a restaurant called Bonanote. Uh, this was in the prime of my party years and we one night went out for some drinks and we I don't, I don't even remember how much we drank that night i remember going out after the bar and closed and you know getting a little bit crazy and uh neil not being a heavy drinker or not being a drinker at all and uh ended up passing out at uh what was some station in Toronto, a train station, and getting woken up by the cops. And I always, I always tell people that story, and I always make fun of them about that story. Um, but that's a little story about me and Neil. And um, yeah, he's a great guy, and I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. Uh, one mistake that I've made that I'm going to try to work on, well, not work on, I just won't do, is that I've been recording my podcast outside. Um, which I quite like doing the fresh air and the the nature and the I just I feel more comfortable but what's happened is that each podcast I've done so far it's been very windy so you hear the wind hitting the hitting the microphone and it just sounds really bad so I'm really sorry for the quality of the audio but uh, I hope you enjoy it and yeah uh, stay tuned for more podcasts to be uploaded enjoy Ciao, Neil. Hey, how's it going? Oh, not bad, not bad. How are you doing? Uh, I've been doing pretty good. Just uh, keeping going. How about you? Same thing, man. I've been working on this podcast. Uh, haven't been doing a lot of cooking, but I wish I was. Um, yeah. Okay. But uh, I'm starting this podcast, and uh, it's, it's, it's going pretty good. It's going pretty good. Nice. Getting some listens, getting some followers, um, which is not bad for one week. Uh, yeah. But yeah, and... This is one of the episodes that um, I'm testing out. It's a industry profile on on people 
in the industry and kind of like what they do other than just their job you know uh the lifestyle that they live because i think there's there's a unique lifestyle that's a lot of chefs that i follow like yourself uh that are doing cool shit um so just before we get into all that we've known each other now what seven years uh 2012 2012 so eight years eight years oh my god it's been eight it'll years. be coming up on eight years in december i think so wait how old are you 28 oh okay that makes sense because yeah. yeah that was like 22 because we first started working together at bonanote right 2012 oh yes or yep. 2011 2011 no it was, it was 2012 because i graduated in 20 uh maybe I, i it gets a little fuzzy it was like december i think of 2011 into 2012 Was Bona your first uh, restaurant in Toronto that you worked at? Yeah, my first first place in Toronto. That was me first moving in there. Um, getting Davide took a chance on me because I'd never uh, never cooked in a re- in like a restaurant restaurant before. And that what that 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 was a crazy kitchen to to start off in Toronto too. Like, <laughs> yeah, the, the numbers that we were doing at that time. Like I remember our soft opening, we did four hundred people just for the soft opening. Yeah, which was fucking crazy, and then like working with all like, uh, like Justin and and the characters. Yeah, well, like even just the quality of cooks, because I think like Justin yeah. worked at was it uh, Scarpetta, uh, Evan yeah. worked at like some crazy place, and then you had that guy Evan from worked at Centro. Centro, yeah. yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, and then like, Dan, the Russian guy from uh, Momofuku. So and then there was me. <laughs> yeah, but you were you were from C8. Like that C5. was a really or C5, yeah, I can't remember. It yeah, that was a good restaurant. I, yeah, that was a that really was a good, good restaurant. restaurant. And then there's not, oh, oh no, I, go ahead. I was saying like and then there's this uh this kid coming in from Muskoka or Niagara or wherever with I I had only been in hotels really. Yeah, at that point though. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Me, me, uh, me and Neil, we would we worked. I worked on pasta. He worked on hot apps. Was it? He was the meatball yep. king. Oh yes, all the meatballs. How many meatballs do you think you made? Uh, I can't count that high. Um, <laughs> not as many pota- not as many as I've cooked potatoes. Now I can finally say that. But it oh, was really? a lot. It was in. Oh yes. Uh, I would say tens of thousands of meatballs. Tens. Oh wow. Okay, that's a lot of meatball. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a lot of spicy meatballs. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a couple hundred every night, right? Yeah, so, that's true. Meatballs up. Hose down. Hose down. down. <laughs> uh, so before you went to Bona, you said you were in hotels. You just graduated culinary school. Where did you go to school again? I went to Niagara College. Uh, oh, okay. The, yeah, down in that's Saint a college. Yeah, um, it was a lot of fun. Made a couple of good friends. One of uh, my buddies, actually, that I was uh, in school with, was one of the people who I ended up ended up having me over in England. He encouraged right. me to move to England. Okay, so, so when did you decide that you wanted to become the Rain Man of cooking? <laughs> was it after college or was it before college? I never decided to be the Rain Man of Cooking. You gave me that title. Um, 
no, but uh, how long have I wanted to cook, be a chef, uh, whatever? Eight yeah. years old. Eight. Oh wow. Okay. Eight years old. Watching uh, Emeril Lagasse on the old old school Food Network. How? The, um, the show, the Cook Like a Chef show, um, was my jam. Like that, that was amazing. I told you I went to go eat at one of his restaurants in New Orleans, right? No. Yeah, like as we landed in New Orleans, and like literally like four hours later, we I can't remember the name of the restaurant right now, um, but I remember because my partner at the time was super sick, and like I dragged her to this restaurant, and so I could have <laughs> turtle soup, like right after getting off the plane. Um, it wasn't Chop Chop, was it? No, I can't remember the name. The other one. It was a fancy one. Delmonico. Mm-hmm. With the Delmonico, that's what it was. Ah, uh, his yeah. his OG one. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was good. It was really good. Uh, it was definitely a, a a great first dining experience in New Orleans. Um, uh, yeah. So, after Bona, you like okay. When you were at Bona, you were making your own beer, weren't you? When did you start making your own beer? Uh, I started my my first fermentation experiment was in actually in college. I tried to make pineapple wine. And it was a complete unabated failure. Um, it grew <laughs> things that really should never have been grown, um, <laughs> and it it was not drinkable. Um, and then that summer, I went to work up north, uh, back in Muskoka, and I started making crab apple. I wanted tried making crab apple cider, and yeah. from that, I sort of I never actually. I think I had one or two bottles of that, and it was okay. Did the job at the time. Uh, wasn't very good and then yeah then I went into cider making more when I moved to Toronto and uh, got my apartment yeah because I like I would say other than like within restaurants and seeing other chefs do it you're probably the first person I know that was fermenting anything on their own uh <laughs> like this is well before like because I don't even think the Nova cookbook came it was out by then or maybe it no. was no I it think it would right? it it would have just uh, come out, not that, because they really only blew up in like what two thousand four, two thousand five. Yeah, something like that. So yeah, uh, their cookbook would have just been fairly new. Yeah, true, true. So after after Bona, you worked at Pangea with me again, uh, and then yep. you worked at Buka Yorkville, was it? Yep. Yeah, I just moved on, moved on up the street a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but you were doing a lot of charcuterie at that time, weren't you? Uh, I was involved in it. I was definitely, I wasn't, I wasn't involved in the making of it. I was definitely all in the, in like the final presentation, slicing, etc. Same as I was in Pangea, I was more involved in making it. Uh, yeah. Just like the duck, the duck prosciutto, stuff like that. And then at Buka Yorkville, I sort of, I saw it from a distance how they were making it. They were doing the salumi de mare, the yeah. uh, sopressata. Actually, yeah, I, I made the sopressata once or twice, and stuff like that. So that sort of kickstarted a, a little bit more. But I I had the interest since culinary school, doing it like like doing all the charcuterie stuff like that. Yeah, because I remember you told me once that like you'd rather instead of being in a restaurant, you'd rather be like in a butcher shop making charcuterie or at, like a bakery or something like that right um that's yeah that's awesome but then 
when I knew you at Pangea and like before, or like I guess after, like when you went to Buka, I would say you knew a lot about food, but then you really didn't get into like the whole. Like I think, in my opinion, like you really shined after you left Buka and you went to the to the UK. Where yeah. did where did you work in the UK again? Uh, so a bit of a backstory is my buddy that I was talking about before, John Williams. Uh, we met in college. He worked in Toronto for a bit, and he ended up going over with again one of our other college buddies who was already over there, and he got a job at a place called Dinner Dinner by Heston Blumenthal. Yeah. And he they as with all restaurants in the history of life, they were short staffed. Um, so he's like, come over, get the youth visa. It's super easy. You just have to have money, essentially. Um, and Which I can get did you, you in. Did you have? Did you have at the time? Yes, I, I had a little bit saved up. I was, I had enough to get through the process and everything. Because that was always that was the hardest thing for me. Like as a young cook, I always wanted to to go overseas, but I could, I never had the money. I could never somehow save the money. I just partied it all away yeah yeah bona yeah i just ate all mine um because i never you know me i don't really go out and party or drink all that much no. but yeah no. i i had a bit of a windfall come to me um six or eight months before that nice. so yeah and that was sort of how i was able to get get in the door over there um so went over there landed basically got told the job wasn't there because they had just finished hiring so that was fun um and got a job at a place called treadwells oh by marcus yep yeah so that was that was a that was a very good introduction to british kitchens oh for sure how was i was working for marcus Marcus he looks so scary when you see him on tv like he has this like piercing menacing look to his to himself like that beard and his eyes are crazy yeah, it's not it's not a show. It's um I've seen him in action and I've been on the receiving end once. Uh, <laughs> it it was well deserved, but um and he doesn't he doesn't kick off or yell, at least with me. I've heard yeah. I've heard I've heard stories. Um but it's just when he talks to you he's so direct and you know he's right and it's just yeah, you kinda just stand there and be like, Oh, Yep, I shouldn't have done that. That was silly. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good resume so far. Yeah. So then after that, and on uh, top, of, and on top of this, while you were there, you were. Did you correct me if I'm wrong? But did you make a forge? That was in my my second year in England. I sort of have. I consider England years one and two because they were vastly different. Um. My first year was at Treadwells, and then when the spot at dinner opened up, I ran over there and worked there. For I was at Treadwells for about five, six months, and then I went over to dinner for seven months. Okay. Uh, so that that's my first year, essentially, getting everything there. Um, had fun, made, made some good contacts at both restaurants. Treadwells, um, the hardest thing for me at Treadwells was listening to the accents and actually understanding the language because they're speaking English, but you don't know what they're saying. Yeah. Um, depending on the accent. You, yeah, that's true. Uh, what What's some advice you would give to uh, to young cooks who want to go overseas? 
that you didn't have at the time that you wish you had now, now thinking back um uh, travel light you can ascend you can get most of the stuff you need over there if you're yeah. planning to move somewhere um be patient it took me a while it took me a few weeks to get my first job there um it took me two or three weeks to find a place to live um because the housing market in london is a lot worse than toronto which i was a bit shocked um yeah toronto's pretty bad yeah london's act london improved now since brexit but that's a whole you can make a three podcast about that um <laughs> Yeah, so just be patient. Um, hostels are not the worst thing in the world. Uh, like I said, lived in hostels for three, three or four weeks before I found a place. I found a job before I found anywhere that would take me. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was the UK, and then you came back to Toronto. You worked at some places, and then you went to work at the third best restaurant in Canada, Langdon Hall. Yeah. Uh, you weren't there for very long, though. I was there for um, just just under a year. Oh, okay, that's that's just long in years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always been kind of transient um, in the industry. I hop around quite a bit. Yeah, see, I've I've had this conversation with chefs before, where it's just like, is it better to stay at one place for three years to build that loyalty and have that trust, or do you go around like do you hop around and try to learn as much as you can? And I've always been in the the idea of like try to stay at one place, be loyal, blah blah blah. Uh, would you 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 definitely are more of the try to learn as much as you can wherever you can go kind of thing, right? Yeah, um, there's a there's a there's a fine line. I actually like right down the middle. Be there long enough to build a good relationship with the people you work with, with the chefs and the restaurant itself. Um, but don't, but once you stop learning something, like once you stop learning things consistently, um, or if something amazing does pop up, um, don't be afraid of change. Um, True. Yeah. but do put your time in, at, do put your time in at places where you want to be either known or you want, or you want to be loyal to the chef. Like, for me, one of the chefs I'm most loyal to is Ryan Campbell from my Buca days. Because uh, yeah, when I over at El Covo in Toronto, um, yep, it's a great spot. I went there uh, like two weeks after it opened. You were still working there and had a tasty menu. Or, no, I did not. You, you weren't doing a tasty menu. We ordered no. like a tasty menu, uh, <laughs> and we had some of the best food you can have in Toronto when it comes to Italian food for sure. But overall like it, it was a great experience i suggest everyone should go there a bit pricey but it's good yeah it's yeah but the the money goes into it's not just pricey for the flat or the restaurant it's yeah. yeah i i love everything about that restaurant i love ryan and giuseppe um but like i was saying like i built loyalty with him because of how i worked for him i was only at buca for i want to say three three or five months or something before I got the visa to go Oh, wow. I feel like you were there a lot longer than that because from no. all the connections that you got from there. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, that sort of comes down to 
work ethic and personability, which is surprising coming for me. Um, and yeah, so but uh, oh, my train of thought has left the station. Um, yeah, so I was only there for three to five months, and then I kept in contact with Ryan. He gave me a stunning reference when I told him that I was uh, going to the UK. I was actually given a contact for overseas already at dinner that he knew one of his old cooks was there. So I had a, a lot of ins at this one really, really amazing restaurant. And it was, it was a lot of things coming together at once. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when I came back, I, it, again lined up where he went he fought, he went out on his own and was opening his own restaurant Il Covo and when I was landing uh, he was still in the process of opening it up so I went and uh, went back to one of the Buka locations to help them out while Ryan finished his stuff up yeah uh, and then went and helped him open Il Covo okay I worked for him for another four months until I was supposed to go back over to the UK which did not happen no, did not happen. The restaurant is business is a fickle one, and the restaurant I was supposed to go sign for uh, got sold. Uh, so, yeah. I didn't know that. yeah. So I want to I want to go back to there, there's something that you said uh, a little bit earlier. You were saying you know learn as much as you can, and once you stop learning, move on. And it's kind of kind of the best thing to say for like where I'm trying to get at with this podcast is that like as chefs we love to learn we love to do new things we love to you know experiment and I think uh, a lot of young cooks and a lot of even chefs our age or older uh, what they end up doing is that they get comfortable with what they're doing and they they burn out with just cooking because as a chef as a as someone in the hospitality industry just making a dish and that's it for the rest of your life is not, not why we kind of came into it. Um, and I think uh, at a young age, it's, it's probably the best time to start getting into stuff like making knives, fermenting, uh, and foraging, doing other projects within the restaurant industry, but not quite exactly just related to a restaurant. Um, and I think right. you pro- probably are one of the people that I know that does does more stuff outside of a restaurant for a restaurant and doesn't even work in a restaurant. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, it, 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 it's pretty great. How many knives have you made? I've only made... One, two. I've made two knives and one or two knife-shaped objects. Um the reason I just say knife-shaped objects is because they aren't made with the proper metal and they're just practice pieces. Um, I haven't... I've I've always been off and on. I've, I follow the, the knife-making industry quite heavily, but I haven't been able to do it as much right now. It's one of those things where I haven't put as much effort into it as I should. If I wanted to, I could go and hand-grind out a knife. Um but I'm waiting for a part because my grinder blew up. The grinder you built? No, no, I didn't build the grinder. Um, oh, you didn't? You no, it, 
no, I built uh, I've only built the forge and one of my an- anvils. Um, oh, okay, and an anvil. Yeah, it's just a couple of basically just a big hunk of metal raised up enough that it'll uh, that you can hit hot metal on it, move it around. I di- I have bought in the last year. I did buy a proper anvil, which has been great. Um, but yeah, I actually should be getting out there sometime this weekend and doing some practicing because it's been a while. And you do all this in your backyard and at home. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super fortunate to have a big open space in my backyard. Uh, my landlord doesn't care what I do back there. As long as I'm not making drugs or anything, he doesn't care. No, which you probably could. Oh, I probably could, yeah. Yeah, you rain man that shit. Yeah, a little meth lab, but anyway. Cooking <laughs> uh, of another kind. Yeah, right. Uh, what was I going to ask you? How that, the uh, COVID nineteen hasn't affected you at all, eh? Well, um, in the sense of like work. No, in a practical sense, not at all. Um, it's actually given me an extra. Uh, our shifts got changed around at work, um, so I actually got an extra half an hour sleep out of it. So I'm happy with it. But yeah, oh, it's just true. in a practical sense, no, it hasn't really affected me a whole lot um i was lucky enough to get that job to get the job that i'm in right now uh just before everything sort of kicked off which your job is you're you're doing butchery at cargill uh yeah uh butchery is a bit of a stretch technically it's just general labor but yeah uh cutting meat but you're, yeah you're butchering an animal it's still butchery yeah you could probably butcher that piece or you can probably butcher pieces of meat better than most cooks out there. So uh, you'd be, that. you'd be surprised. Uh, you're literally doing one, one or two cuts on each oh, yeah, piece. Then right. yeah. So it's not, it's not like you're taking down a side by yourself or even a big piece. You're doing one or two cuts and moving it along. So that, that's why I kind of shy away from butchery. Like if I saw, the whole side of the cow I might be able to identify where my cuts actually are but more than likely not I mean I'm on short I'm doing short rib cuts right now so I know where that is but the other cut I was doing I just no no idea how to how how I would get it off the carcass I have no idea do you think you'll end up uh, going in that direction like eventually do you plan you don't plan on doing that no that's it's not uh, for me at this time it's not a long term job uh, I was okay. supposed to be entering a new trade as an apprentice. Uh, there's a free apprenticeship program the government was putting on, and I was going into that. That uh, supposed to be at the end of this month, but COVID. Yeah, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, okay, one last question, um, and then I'll sum we'll sum everything up. Uh, What's one cookbook that you could think of, or not, it doesn't even have to be a cookbook, one book that you would suggest to young professionals to read? Young professionals? Like, yeah, like uh, the industry. Uh, French Laundry. French Laundry? Yep. That's a good book. It, it goes into the why of restaurants, like service and stuff. Um, yeah, it, it yeah. just co- it covers a lot of basic, um, and I just love Thomas Keller too. So, 
Yeah, he's great. I would love to meet him. I'd yeah. love to be him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably won't happen. I'm not a tall white guy. I'm a short Mexican. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah that's, you'd fit in in California. It'd be great. Yeah, that's true. They'd, no, they'd confuse me for the gardener. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Get away from the past. You should be picking the carrots. <laughs> Ooh. Uh. Uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that's that's great. I glad to hear. Glad to hear your journey. Um, yeah. And now you're straying away from the restaurant industry for a bit, but I think you'll be back. Yeah. You know? Uh, I mean, I was actually about a week or two away from asking for my old job back, uh, <laughs> just because I was tired of the whole factory work thing. But then the COVID thing happened and shut all that all the restaurants down so yeah, now, now I'm just stuck here but it's alright it's uh but yeah I was hoping to just be in restaurants part time it's a fun business it's a really fun business oh yeah I love it yeah it's almost killed me many of times but I still yeah yeah I've done it. that to me too many times so that's part of the reason why <laughs> what do you think needs to change um, to stop getting us like this other than staying you know keeping hobbies but like like what do you think needs to change within the industry I think it actually comes a bit down to guest uh, guest expectations customer guest uh, expectations especially in regards to price um, people eat cheap food they don't pay for high a very very small subset of our society will is willing to pay for high high labor high quality ingredients etc a lot yeah. like you ask someone to pay twenty dollars for a burger they're gonna tell you to fuck off um, yeah, that's true. And, <laughs> sorry I didn't okay. get that I said like you can you can easily charge more for a burger than that. Like burger meat isn't cheap. No. Yeah, I think at the last uh, when I was working at Langdon, I would it was I think twenty four dollars or something with fries and stuff. But yeah. the, the meat was all good. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 Um, <laughs> that's a story for another time. Um. Yeah, but like the the meats rate, like it's not industrial meat. It comes from a farm. It gets ground. I think it comes. I think our beef was coming from a farm there. Anyway, it's yeah. ground in house, formed by hand. Like it's cooked with care. The buns yeah. are made in house. Everything's everything. There's a lot of care and effort put into it. All right, one last question and then we're done. It came to my head. Favorite restaurant in Toronto that people should go to right now? Not right now, but eventually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The funny thing is, is I never ate at too many restaurants um, when I was in Toronto. Um, So it's essentially the restaurants that I've worked at. (laughs) <laughs> that I get to pick from. 
Um, one single restaurant. One single restaurant. The one restaurant, like when you when you travel to Toronto, you're like, I have to go there. I have to say Okobo. Yeah. And the reason for that is it's not just the food and because I love the chef and everything, but the service, the atmosphere is top notch. The wine knowledge is insane. Um, again, the food is, I know the food in there is ridiculous. Like Ryan yeah. doesn't fuck around. Um, it's like it's, and yeah, it might be a bit, so, some people think it's a bit pricey, but I think it's actually good value for the experience that you're getting in a restaurant. True. Like that, yeah. that's my ideal restaurant experience. Like I don't, I, I don't think you should be going out every every week to a place like that. But that's yeah, no, you, it's, it's a special, special experience. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully yeah. now this uh, pandemic will be over soon, and we can go have a dinner at. Uh, Okovo for our anniversary. <laughs> uh, yeah, that oh, means we a- had our anniversary dinner. Already. I forgot about that. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, uh, fuck that was good. Too. Um, yeah, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on here. Like From. the looking forward to hearing more of these podcasts. They're great so far. Oh, awesome! Thank you.